Good morning and welcome to our American Heritage. I am Arch Hunter, your host of the program. Our American Heritage program, we're exploring depth the American experience from this beginning to the present. And today we want to welcome back and continue our conversations with Lydia Nuttall. Lydia, thank you for coming back to the program and sharing. You're so welcome. So excited to be here. Round three. Round three. Lydia is a author of Forgotten American Stories. It is in its second printing. I highly recommend her book to everyone of our listening audience for themselves and for their children to be able to share stories that we have totally forgotten about in American history. And so Lydia and I have been talking about Lexington and Concord for a couple of shows now. We're going to continue our discussion on Lexington and Concord. And Lydia, we had gotten up to not, we hadn't even gotten to the battle yet. If you remember back, we were talking about Thomas Gage, General Thomas Gage, and what he did here to help win the French and Indian War for the British, how he then stayed here, became the military governor of Massachusetts after the Intolerance and the Boston Tea Party. And then he is the commanding general of the British in the Americas at that point in time. So do you remember anything, or Lydia, you had some questions about Thomas Gage at that point? Uh, not that I remember. It's been a whole week. I have short-term memory loss. <laughs> okay. Sorry, but I do have um, just... Yeah, just you a, have some a, more questions since we get into the battle. Yeah, let, let's just dive in, and I'm, I know I will have questions, so... We were talking about, and I was talking about how militarily understanding the culture of which you are fighting to actually win a war or win a battle. And Thomas Gage then had been in the colonies for such a long period of time, he had a great understanding of the thinking of the colonists. He also then married a colonist, a woman named Margaret Kimball from New Jersey, uh, New Brunswick, New Jersey. So they were raising their children up in the Boston area at the time of Lexington and Concord at that point in time. So General Gage was getting orders from Parliament and from the king, not understanding the American mindset or the colonist mindset, the colonist mindset really didn't understand the mindset of parliament and or the king. And so these disputes, unfortunately, broke out into a long drawn out war that started in a very small area outside of Boston, which spread throughout all the colonies and then ultimately became a world war around 1778 through 1780, when the French declared war on the Brits, when the Spanish declared war on the Brits, and then the Dutch declared war on the Brits. So does that spur any of your remembrance, Lydia, that we had talked through that? It does. In fact, it brings to mind often when we learn about these wars, whether it's the Revolutionary War or Civil War or whatever, we learn of the men in the battle, but we don't realize those men like General Gage, he was actually married. Oh, he was married to a colonist. Colonists became the British, the enemies of the British in the Revolutionary War. The dynamics, so many dynamics. It's not just men fighting men. There's It affects everybody on both sides. And that's one of the things that I loved learning was, I mentioned in the previous shows that I had listened to a few podcasts portraying more of the British side and what it was like for the British to fight against the colonists and what the British suffered. War is just ugly. I remember my dad coming home from the Vietnam War and coming to my second grade class because my teacher invited him. 
and a little boy in my class said, hey, what's what's war like? And my dad said, it's very ugly. And he totally changed the subject. So I love as we've been diving into this, how does this apply to us today as Americans? So I'm hoping we can pull some of those points out. Otherwise, it can just be boring old two people discussing something that happened over 200 years ago. Yeah, um, I, Lydia, I think I want to take a little homage to that word old. <laughs> Did you say two old people talking no, 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 about- No, 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 Or two people talking about things that happened 250 years yes, ago. Yes, so, not okay. that you're 250 years old, but um, you know, I'm, you're I'm getting close, close to, to that. Yeah, I'm, I'm close <laughs> to it. Actually, in my, my next birthday, I'm going to be carbon dated, so- Oh, yeah. wow. Well, to tag onto your point, Margaret Kimball Gage was a patriot. Her family were loyalists. So when she took the side, uh, she took the patriot side where her fam the rest of her family were loyalists. And even though she married a British general, she was loyal to the colonist point of view at that point. So again, this is what we were talking about. This is really, Lydia, a civil war. This was brother against brother, sister against sister, family against family, for different, and they all took a stand, and oftentimes they lost family members, not necessarily because of a battle, but because they had a different political viewpoint at that point. Margaret was a patriot. The rest of her family remained loyal to Great Britain, and actually, she had a brother who became a colonel in the British Army, and she stood for the colonist side. Later on, I mean, one of her descendants, Lydia, was the commanding general of the British expeditionary forces in Europe all the way through Dunkirk. That's a long legacy for the Kimball family at this point. We see that, and it's an important point because, Lydia, how do you think militaries get information about the other military? Through, I, I just know some of the stories from even the Revolutionary War that there were women who were patriots who, you know, the British had to eat somewhere, so they would come into the colonist taverns, and one woman, I don't remember her name, would wine and dine them and just be looking out. You know, her ears were peeled for any kind of information that she could glean. Um, I know one of them, didn't she sleep with them or something, you know, to get pertinent information that she could then give to the colonists to aid them in their ability to defeat the British. And so, and I know we had spies. They had spies. We had spies. And I'm asking that question because we were talking about before we were in recording, you know, you were going to the doctor this morning and it was canceled because of your snow. And doctors are the people in our lives that these are the people that we honestly trust and truly, hopefully talk with. Well, we know now, years later, that the two doctors in Boston, Dr. Benjamin Church and Dr. Joseph Warren, were both well-known doctors in Boston. We now know within uh, two years ago, Lydia, that through uh, Thomas Gage's writings, General Gage's writings now, that Dr. Benjamin Church was an informant to the British. And we've known f since the revolution that Joseph Warren was an informant to the militias outside of Boston. And so these two doctors were on opposite sides of this cause. And Dr. Benjamin Church was a well-known, well-respected doctor, and so was Joseph Warren. And we now know that Thomas Gage got a lot of information from Dr. Benjamin Church about what's going on outside of Boston and the militias. But also, 
Another area that we're firmly now convinced of, how did the militia also get information about what the British were going to do militarily? Crickets. Crickets. Yeah, well, crickets. Thomas Gage would have, his, <laughs> would, would have his meetings in their home in Boston. And it was a very limited, obviously, amount of men that were inside of these meetings that General Gage would have to discuss their military strategy. Remember, we talked about that the militias knew that British were going to come out of Boston and go out to Lexington, then go out to Concord to get their supplies. The militias knew that. How did the militias get that information? That's a good question, because we all know the story of Paul Revere and the other two that wrote out with the information. But how did they get the information? Do tell, Arch. How did they get... Well, Lydia, again, we're convinced... The doctors? Not the doctors, because Benjamin Church would not, in a British military officer's meeting discussing strategy, only General Gage's highest ranking officers would be there. Obviously, Joseph Warren, he was a patriot. He was a son of liberty. He wouldn't be in those meetings. Did they have ladies coming and serving them coffee or something while they had their meetings? Maybe well, they Well, you're did very it. close. You're very close. Uh, General Gage is obviously looking to keep information secure. The only other person involved in those meetings is Thomas Gage's wife, Margaret Gage. Ah. She, she would serve food oh, to the goodness. officers. And so she was able to listen to their conversations, and that is the only way possible that the militias would get information about what the British were about ready to do at coming out of Boston out of the Concord. Well, how hard would that be to be married to someone who was supporting the other side, and then you were trusting her to see or serve coffee at your strategy meetings, who then she was leaking out? Ow. How did that affect their relationship? <laughs> well, again, we don't, I mean, we're looking back. They don't know the ramifications of what's going to happen. Now that we look back and see that this, this totally blew up, and, and now we take a different stance on that. So we're convinced, a lot of us historians are convinced, that it had to be Margaret Gage who was giving information to obviously Joseph Warren, who would pass that on information, get it out of Boston to the militias to hide their weaponry and hide their gunpowder that they had out of Concord at that point. Well, we feel bad for General Gage and his wife. That would be a hard thing to, to put in your marriage, you know, to be married to a guy or to be married to the general of, you know, who's on the enemy side from the side you're on. But how can we apply that to us today, though? I mean, hey, there's a lot of differences that we have today that could put a burrow under the saddle between a husband and wife or mom and dad or parents and children. To me, it's it's got to go down to the respect for, for differences. If it comes out to war, though, that's hard, where, where you have to then take sides when both sides are battling, like physically battling. That's really hard, but it, but hopefully I don't know. I would I just don't I just don't like the whole thing about war. Period. It would just be nice if we could be grown ups and handle things civilly, our disagreements or whatever, and move on. And if we can keep in context that no one on April eighteenth had any idea, Lydia, that this would break out. This would be the first battle of the revolution. So when Margaret Gage is giving information, she's actually thinking, well, the militias can get their supplies out of there 
my husband can or can send troops out there and everything will be fine. There's nothing that's going to happen because no one really outside of Samuel Adams had this concept that there's going to be a war at this point. So then what, if we can then, okay, so now we've got General Gage and his regiments moving up to First Lexington with the intent of securing for themselves the powder, the ammunition in Concord. And so what then brought this to the boiling point where the kettle started to boil over? Well, again, which we had talked about, how can we apply this to our lives? How oftentimes, Lydia, do we make decisions without having full understanding of all the points of view? That is such a good point. That is so true. Yeah, we assume a lot. In fact, I've I have my own personal motto is never assume. Every time I assume, I always regret it. I just always have, and so it's just better to not assume instead to ask questions, find out questions. What are your intentions, young lady? You know, when will you be home with my car? <laughs> I don't know how we got from Lexington to Concord to your car, but well, what are you gonna? Why were you home late again? Can you share your side of the story? Um, you know, bringing it back to the home front. But when we bring it back then to 1775, is this April 1775 in Boston, Massachusetts area? There were assumptions made, and, and, and we kind of touched on them um, in the last show. Rumors were being spread. Uh, obviously, they didn't have even telegraphs. You know, they didn't have phones. They didn't have certainly didn't have internet. For instance, there were rumors about how many men the British had among the regulars. And among the British, there were rumors about how many militia there were, and uh, which often was not even close to how many there actually were. Things were grandiose in, in numbers, exaggerated numbers. But how did you know that? Who did take the first shot at Lexington Green? Somebody shot something and then either side both assumed, uh-oh, it was that side, so now we can open fire. And the other side thought, oh, it was their side. So that was another assumption. At one point, I, I think we talked about how um, once in Concord, House accidentally got set on fire. It was not intentional. Both sides put it out, which was awesome. But when people saw the smoke from surrounding towns, they thought, oh my gosh, those British are horrible. They're burning down the town where it wasn't so. They were all British and militia were trying to put out the fire. But from a distance, you're seeing smoke with your own eyes and then your brain puts as many dots as it has together, which weren't very many. And next thing you know, the British are burning down the towns. I just, I read some other stories too, um, where the regulars heard that the militia were taking prisoners and then subjecting them to horrible torture based on one actual thing that did happen where someone in the militia scalped one of the British leaders who was wounded on the bridge or somewhere. And um, which I'm also learning their their war is so ugly it can we, we, we can put all um, what? kindness aside, uh, etc., and just kind of turn out to be animals. So both sides kind of did animalistic, horrible things to the other uh, on occasion. If we could go back, Lydia, uh, we are now 
100% verified. No one was scalped on that bridge. Oh, okay. So that no, was just uh, another propaganda. An erroneous. Okay. So see, there you go, folks. I listened to a podcast that ha- I mean, I've mis- listened to many, but there was one story, then that's what they shared that, yeah. So like we have to double check, triple check documentation. Oh my gosh. Where can we find that documented? Primary source documentation is important. If, if we can, let's go back to the riders. Who were the, the famous riders that went out there to warn people along along the road and ultimately out at Lexington, then ultimately at Concord, that the regulars were coming. I don't, I don't know why I never remember, even though I promised myself, you remember the other two men, because everyone knows Paul Revere, but the other two men was a um, Prescott. Prescott. Who was Prescott? Yep. Was there Prescott? Samuel, Samuel, Samuel Prescott, Prescott and William Dawes. Uh, Dawes. Yeah, I could remember Dawes. I don't know why Dawes, but I couldn't remember William. So yeah, there were three of them. Right, there's three of them, and and Paul Revere and William Dawes got to Lexington around midnight, and they were basically there to warn Samuel Adams and John Hancock that they were going to be arrested. General Gage wanted Samuel Adams and John Hancock arrested at that point, so Revere and Dawes was able to warn them that you needed to get out of here because the British are sending their regulars out here to arrest you at that point. Um, was Paul Revere captured? Yes, he was captured right outside at Lexington. And so he was done. Paul Revere at that point was done. He was captured. William Dolves was able to escape on foot. Um, and the British kept William, uh, Paul Revere all night long. And he had, he has a personality that he was a very irritating, high strung (laughs) individual that he was like a pesky little person. And so by by 6.30 in the morning, the British had had it with Paul Revere. <laughs> you know, so they finally said, just- Go away. Thank you. Go <laughs> away. Get out of here and go away. And so we have, the Revere is the famous one because of Longfellow's poem, but Dawes uh, lost his horse at that point and then uh-huh. escaped. It's Samuel Prescott who was able to get all the way out to, to Concord to warn the militias out there that the regulars were on at that point. So you asked the question, the British come out around 2.30 in the morning out of Boston. They finally get out to Lexington about 7 o'clock in the morning. So these four soldiers have been up since 9 o'clock. It's taken yeah, almost the morning all night. Before, yeah, right? the morning they, before. Yeah, the morning before. Yeah, they had they, they, no sleep that night. No sleep. They have marched now approximately 15 miles. They get out to Lexington. And they have to veer off to the left at the Lexington Green to get to Concord. And then who's there on the Lexington Green? The militia. Hi, yep. boys. The, the militia. <laughs> the militia. And, and the, the, the militia commander name was John Parker at this point. So he brings 70, approximately 77 militia out onto the Lexington Green. And what do they do? They just stand there. They stand Yeah, up. and then didn't the British, like, they had a main commander, Colonel Smith, but there was someone else who it sounded like was ahead of him over a few other um, troops, and they wound up, they were ahead of General Smith, and so that, they are the ones, that group were the ones that confronted the militia at Lexington Green and got to be a part of that. Shot heard round the world until General Smith came to say, hey, look, you, um, 
things were a disorder by the time General Smith got there because the shot around the world was heard, that there was gunfire shot. Weren't there, um, okay, you tell me, because now I'm not trusting any of the podcasts I listen to, um, is uh, that there were about seven of the militia shot and that they were all shot in the back or bayoneted, and there's only one soldier who was shot in the leg on the side of the British. We have 77 militia standing shoulder to shoulder on the Lexington Green, and Captain John Parker said to the militia, stand your ground, don't fire, unless you're fired upon. But if they, meaning the British, want a war, let it begin here. And so the person you were alluding to that was the British officer out there was Major John Pitcairn. And after Parker said that to the militia, Major Pitcairn told the militia to lay down their arms. And that point, what Parker ordered his men not to lay down their arms, but to disperse. So as the militia was turning their back towards the British to walk away, to disperse, a shot rang out at that point. And we discussed that. And that's when that's when there was a, a several minutes of a firing back and forth. And several of the militia were shot and killed. Nine more were wounded. And one British soldier was, was wounded in the thigh at that point. And that's, as you said, General, General Smith got there and reformed the lines and stopped the commotion that was going on. So the militia was walking away. All the ones that were shot and killed or wounded were shot in the back because they were walking away. And it's not because the British were cowards. Tensions were high. They're very on both sides. A shot rang out and your immediate reaction is to defend yourself and defend your fellow soldiers. And the shots, the shots uh, rang out at that point. As the militia limped away, Captain Parker reorganized the militia and off to Concord they went at that point. This is what happened on the Lexington Green about 7, 7.30 in the morning. General Smith reorganized the British troops under Pitcairn, and they marched off towards Concord at that point. John Pitcairn later died at Breed's Hill, by the way. And by the way, he was also very, John Pitcairn was well respected by the Bostonians, and they respected him as a British officer inside Boston because they all wrote that uh, as they occupied Boston, he was one of the few officers that respected the people living in Boston, treated them fairly, respected them, did not take advantage of the civilians living in Boston during the British occupation of Boston at all. Well respected. On the way back from Lexington, his horse was shot out from underneath him and killed. Interestingly, he also lost both of his pistols. When he fell down from the horse, he lost both of his pistols and did not ever get them back. And I won't go into the weeds on this, but General Israel Putnam, old Putt. I remember it, hearing him. He found Pitcairn's pistols and wore them for the rest of the war at that point. <laughs> uh, and Pitcairn was wounded twice at Breed's Hill. He was one of the officers that entered the redoubt. Liddy, he was shot four more times inside the redoubt. And then finally, the last shot, he was shot in the head at that point. And sadly, which you have talked about, that war is awful. His son was with him inside the redoubt on Breed's Hill. And Pitcairn fell into his son's arms as he 
breeze is less at that point. So that's, again, the human side Yeah. Yeah, The human side of it. So we are, again, up against time at this point. So we're going to continue, Lydia, and we're going to finally get to what happened in Concord and then on the way back. So So again, thank (laughs) you for coming and and participating and asking questions. And we're going to continue in our next show with what happened at Lexington and then the tragedy that happened all the way back to from Concord all the way back to Great Britain. So Liddy again, thank you for coming. We appreciate I appreciate it very much. This is WFYL eleven eighty AM working for your liberty.